You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with y'all on this Tuesday, an off day for your New Orleans Pelicans. They're taking on the Sacramento Kings tomorrow. We'll preview that game then before a big back-to-back, by the way, over the weekend against the Jazz and the Clippers on Friday and Saturday. But we've got a lot to get to this week before we get to those games. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about the Zion and Lon connection. You saw it in full effect against the Minnesota Timberwolves with those basically three-quarter length passes that Lonzo made to Zion for the alley-oops. I want to talk about their connection, some of the numbers behind that, and why this puts the Pelicans actually in a difficult position coming up after next season. Then we got to talk about Kenny Atkinson in the Nets. What went on there and how might it apply to New Orleans and how important is that culture and kind of team-building aspect of things that sometimes fly below the radar in what should be kind of a bit of a developmental season for New Orleans. And then we actually have another coronavirus update, one that's going to probably lead to some interesting things in the NBA, and we need to talk about that as well. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So our friend Andrew Lopez of ESPN.com, which is still really cool to say, tweeted out some interesting numbers yesterday. And God, it must be super nice to have ESPN stats and info on like a red bat phone line that you can just dial up whenever you need some absurd numbers and statistics and streaks stuff that you just can't get anywhere else. And man, that would be really fun to be able to do. And the good news is you'd be able to do it a whole lot with all of the crazy good things that Zion Williamson is doing at the moment. So if you watched the game against the Timberwolves, and of course you did, you saw those two first quarter lobs that were about three quarters of the court from Lonzo to Zion. And they're a lot of fun. And it seems like they almost do this kind of regularly, but I think plays like that are very special and should be noted. So we're going to highlight some of it here. And that got me looking at some of the larger picture with Lonzo and Zion in this one. So you saw those two three-quarter length lobs that basically are just pinpoint football throws of a receiver going up and just grabbing it and coming down with it, except coming down with it means an alley-oop dunk to Zion. It doesn't happen all that often, and these were pretty insane plays, and ESPN and Andrew Lopez pulled some of the numbers here. So the two Lonzo to Zion lobs yesterday measured six, or the other day measured 64.7 feet and 51 and a half feet. The 64.7 foot one is the second longest converted lob in the NBA this season and the third longest in the last five years. They're also the only duo in the NBA with three converted 50 plus foot lobs this season. So yeah, it's kind of rare that these guys are able to do it. Now this is due to Second Spectrum and their player tracking data. They've only been checking this stuff since 2012-2013, or sorry, 2013-2014. So that is kind of impressive to be able to see. Um, And then the one against Houston that they had was 56.9 feet. So these guys are really good at these kind of things. And Zion even spoke about it after the game the other day saying, yeah, he can just 
has like a supernatural ability to throw these passes where I can get them. And it's crazy. And there's a reason we've been referring to Lonzo Ball as like the second coming of Drew Brees, because he looks like it throwing some of these passes. And that's where he really excels. And we've said it. He has limitations, very obvious limitations, particularly in the half court as a player. He doesn't drive enough. He kind of just plays on the perimeter a little bit too much. He can make the right pass and fancy pass on occasion in the half court, but it's not necessarily enough to run your offense. And this isn't a knock on the dude. He thrives in this system because his strengths are playing in transition somewhere where the Pelicans want to play a whole ton of their offense. And he's able to do it here and do it very successfully. And when you have a guy like Zion who can convert these lobs, well, then they're really something special in the making there. So we've seen him kind of do this regularly and thrive in this system. And when I started digging into some of the numbers of him in Zion, yeah, you know, this is kind of a, a very good pairing. Zion has made 172 field goal attempts so far this year. Lonzo Ball has assisted on 57 of them. The only other guys who are in double figures with it are 32 from Drew Holiday and 20 from Brandon Ingram. Now, all this is correct. Those are the guys who should be assisting most on Zion Williamson. But the fact that that number is significantly higher with Lonzo because of the transition play in particular, I think is worth pointing out. And so one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is because Lonzo Ball is eligible for a contract extension this offseason and a new contract after next year is a restricted free agent. The Pelicans are going to be ponying up big money for Brandon Ingram this offseason with the one for Lonzo looming on the horizon. It's a bit scary and it's a weird position for the Pelicans to have to be in. I don't think Lonzo would look nearly this good on almost any other team in the league. He looks great here, particularly with that three-point shoot uh, shot that has significantly improved so far this year. He's on a four-game stretch of three or more made threes, including two seven-made-three games and a four-made-three game and then a three-made-three game. But if that is just a bit of a flash in the pan, I think it's been really good this year, and I've said all season long I believe in his three-point shooting – I don't know if you should expect that over a full 82-game stretch, at least just yet. He might be able to get there, and he might be able to convince us of this, but I don't know if we're there just yet with it. Now, if you get another season of data of him doing it, when he's up for that uh, contract in the offseason after next year as a restricted free agent, you feel pretty good about it, to be honest. A guy who can make threes at that rate and gives you all this stuff in transition. But he's not great in the half court, and let's say hypothetically he doesn't take a leap. Now, he could, theoretically, like Brandon Ingram did this year, but let's say he doesn't. He is a very limited player that thrives on your team and maybe nowhere else. So how do you gauge market value for that guy? And with big money committed to Brandon Ingram, then a future extension coming up for Zion Williamson, all of a sudden, you're well over the cap, probably going to come close-ish to the luxury tax, depending on how the salary cap continues to rise. And look, if they have to play games behind closed doors, which we'll talk about in the third segment, there's some salary cap implications from that. It makes me a little bit nervous that you're going to commit a lot of money for a guy who only fits your team. So if you ever change the style or maybe a roster piece moves around, he's limited. And you don't want to have money committed to a guy like that that maybe becomes hard to trade. Now, this is all something you need to worry about in the future, but as you watch Lonzo Ball play with Zion right now, it works. The Pelicans want to keep building on that. They'll likely try, at least as of today, re-sign Lonzo Ball. 
There could be issues with that way further down the line, more so than a guy like Brandon Ingram or others that they may bring and have on this team. Something to keep in mind when you see the chemistry developing between these two guys, because certainly they have to pay him if this is the case. So before we get to the Nets and Kenny Atkinson, a situation I find pretty interesting, actually, after initially thinking it wasn't and then thinking about how it applies to New Orleans. Don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from here Monday through Friday for you all breaking down everything you want to know about this team. And it is fun times here in New Orleans with meaningful games down the stretch. We usually are looking at the lottery at this point. We are not, not at all this year, which has been a whole bunch of fun. Tell a friend about the show. And also, please leave a five-star review with a comment. I saw a bunch of new reviews come in, and I appreciate you all taking some time out of your day. Might only take 30 seconds, but look, you're all busy. I appreciate you just listening in the first place. So going out of your way, even if it is easy, it's still going out of your way to leave a review means a whole lot to me. So I appreciate you all doing that. Thank you all. Tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans. So the Nets and head coach Kenny Atkinson mutually parted ways this uh, weekend in what's a, a very surprising thing. And then more came out from Sham Sharania of The Athletic, kind of shedding a lot of light on what went on behind the scenes there. And when you kind of look at it, you're like, OK, yeah, this started to feel like it was doomed from about the middle of the season onward. And Kenny Atkinson was like, well, if I'm going to get fired, you may as well just get rid of me now and not have to deal with this crap for another two months. And now they are no longer together. And it sheds light on some things that are applicable to the Pelicans. I'm not going to look at Kenny Atkinson as a replacement for Alvin Gentry. We don't need to deal with that right now. And there's no point in debating something that may or may not, as of now, come to fruition or even be a thing in like the same universe. If it's the offseason, they move on from Gentry, then we'll look at him as a replacement because certainly his name will be one of the first ones that comes up for the job. But what I think is important to look at with this is that, one, yes, a lot of X's and O's is really important as a coach. A lot of motivating your players is also so very important. But the managing of egos, the kind of setting of expectations and getting the buy-in on those expectations is also really important. And if you don't do that well, or if it's not handled well, well, you lose the locker room or kind of the key support in the locker room really quickly, and you find yourself out of a job almost immediately as happened here. DeAndre Jordan off, off coming off the bench while Jaron Allen started and not managing that after they acquired him and setting the right expectations and getting his buy-in on that has kind of doomed him a little bit since it sounded like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant wanted him starting and not getting the buy-in of these key guys in Kyrie Irving in Kevin Durant seems to have been a bit of his undoing as well. Both those guys are like, no, we didn't ask for him to be fired, but certainly if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant wanted him to be the head coach still, he would be the head coach still. So he definitely lost the confidence of those guys. The other thing that I find maybe the most interesting about this is the stuff about a packing order and hierarchy when it comes to the team. You had guys in Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and Kenny Atkinson kind of wanting to run an offensive system where all of those guys were equal and kind of key focal points at times and all together, this, you know, at the same time, the main focal point too. 
And that doesn't really work. It seems like you do in a locker room need to kind of have an established pecking order, identity, whatever words you want to use to describe it. That means this is our go-to guy in the clutch. This is the guy we're going to really try and run our offense through in these situations or in general with the starters. And if you don't have that, it can kind of disrupt things. And that's when guys seem to get really upset. You worry about that a little bit here, integrating Zion Williamson back into the team while keeping a guy like Brandon Ingram happy, while keeping a guy like Drew Holiday happy. Now, Holiday's a little bit easier because certainly he's very selfish, likes it here, and is willing to do whatever role it is for this team to win, including just playing defense. But you've seen it impact Ingram a little bit. And the good news is you haven't heard him complain. He's been given media interviews. He's not upset that at times his role is more of a spot-up shooter and diminished a little bit. And there's times when you see this team really try and feed Zion early and get him going early. You saw it against the Miami Heat in particular, where they tried to give it to him on the first two possessions resulted in two turnovers and attempted to try and get it to him on the third, only for there to be another turnover. So this is a group that when you integrate a guy like that back kind of upsets the balance of everything that you've built so far and people could complain. You know, you could have Ingram being like, the spacing isn't great for me right now. This is a problem. I'm not scoring 26 points per game like I was doing before. You could easily hear that all from him, particularly for a guy who's about to enter free agency. And even if he's restricted, could kind of pick his own team a little bit. Or maybe, you know, is worried about how it might impact his money if he's not out there getting the ball all the time in what's a contract year. And it's not. And I think all of this is definitely a good sign for Alvin Gentry and the job that he's done. Some of the other stuff, maybe not. Certainly, I've been very critical of him. But you haven't heard of him kind of losing the locker room, even on a 13-game losing streak when, you know, there should be a big players-only meeting or something like that. Never happened here in New Orleans. They might have talked and had some discussions, but you don't hear that dreaded players-only meeting kind of thing. They talk about after a loss, I think it was the Atlanta, I forget which team because it's the Nets and that's not the team I cover, but they ha- after a loss, they had kind of an airing of grievances you haven't worried about that here in New Orleans. Yes, they've gotten kind of in each other's faces at, at halftime to fire each other up when these games aren't going their way. But you're never hearing anything like what's occurred with the Nets here. And I think that is a very good sign. You've got to build the right culture and kind of get your guys established and get others to really understand the roles that they're playing. And I think you see that. You know what Josh Hart's role is, and he seems to buy into that. Same for Drew Holiday, same for Brandon Ingram, same for Zion Williamson. Heck, same for J.J. Redick, Nicolo Melli as well. All of these guys are comfortable with the things they're being asked to do. They do have, uh, Alvin Gentry has the buy-in from a lot of these players. Are they executing perfectly all the time? No, not at all. Are there some decisions that are questionable from Alvin Gentry? Rotations, is he not maybe motivating these guys properly? I think those are all fair things to ask. But getting their buy-in and having them understand what they're all trying to do and the direction that the bus is moving towards, absolutely yes. And I think it's safe to say that. That's a really important part of the coaching job that I think sometimes kind of gets forgotten about till a guy gets fired or mutually parts ways like Kenny and the Nets here did. None about that is a good situation. In a what times has been a tumultuous season for New Orleans, keeping some of that perspective I think is important. They are all moving towards the same goal of improving and getting this team into the playoffs. And no one seems to be upset about role or anything like that. 
when you reintegrate guys, when roles change, that can definitely be a big thing. You're not seeing it. I'm really happy about that. Again, not advocating for Gentry to be fired, not advocating for him to stay. You can think what you want about that, and it's totally cool. You can even tell me on Twitter, at Noli Jake. I think it's worth mentioning, though, that he does seem to have the confidence of the locker room and the buy-in of the entirety of the team. So some media changes coming for the NBA, which likely means bigger changes coming. But first, if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all of the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Pelicans is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Pelicans fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants wants to connect with Pelicans fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get, your, we'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So we talked about the coronavirus and the impact it may have on the NBA yesterday, and little did I know that things would kind of explode a little bit more today um, when it comes to sports. So the NBA, NHL, MLB, and MLS are all closing locker room access to media people and uh, essentially limiting all non-essential personnel in response to everything going on with the coronavirus. They all announced this in a joint statement. This is interesting somewhat problematic and also incredibly understandable as this kind of spreads and you're seeing large gatherings cancel and things like that look we don't know what's going to happen with jazz fest here in new orleans which is a really big deal south by southwest was canceled it sounds like coachella is going to postpone all these are big things because lots of people all together can certainly spread that virus to many others in a very quick um, basis. Look, I was traveling on a plane last week and saw many people wearing masks. The kind of fear and stuff is very real. And talking to people about it and learning how contagious this thing really can be and how easily you can get it, I understand. Right now, the NBA is looking to protect its players. I think it's they're kind of fearful of the look that it would be if one of their players comes down with the coronavirus, that it's going to be a very bad look for the league overall. So right now, they're trying to limit the players interacting with others who may somehow be able to get it to them. Maybe those people picked it up at a conference and then came back and went to a game or a reporter who's on the road, a beat writer who's traveling on a plane a lot and maybe a little bit more likely to catch this um, getting close to a player in a, you know, in a less controlled environment may not be a good thing. So they're limiting the access to that. The NBA, it's going to be stressing a gap of six to eight feet between uh, reporters and interview subjects too to limit all of this. I get it. You know, this is a concern because it makes it harder on beat writers to do their jobs. And I don't like that in what's already a brutal industry. But it sounds like a lot of industries in the U.S. right now are going to kind of be pumping the brakes a little bit on things. And it's something that's going to impact, you know, people in all walks of life. But I get why they're doing this. It makes a lot of sense. And you would have to hope that once everything passes and calms down, they immediately reopen the locker room. The NBA sometimes wants to try and control a lot of the messaging out there and having to limit access for media with their interview 
subjects with players and other things like that. Certainly not going to look, especially when some of the associations have kind of bargained for some of this stuff and fought for this kind of access for them to be able to do their jobs. So that's a bit of concern. The other thing is, you know, it's tough to just say, okay, well, we're going to protect these players from reporters and others when courtside seats are much closer than six to eight feet with players out there. And look, you know, if I'm interviewing someone, I'm talking to them and I'm spitting a little bit while I talk or I've got, you know, uh, other things going on like that, breathing and all that stuff around them, you can infect someone maybe a little bit easier than when they just run by you out there on a basketball court when you're sitting courtside. But nonetheless, there's still a risk. And if you're taking these steps, this is what I wonder when I wonder if it's going to lead to games getting played behind closed doors. The NBA has a conference call scheduled with owners slash governors um, of these NBA teams, basically the principal players in all of this. This is when we might get some more clarity on it. As of now, they're playing games. They're playing games last night. They're going to play games, as far as I know, today with people around. But it seems like we are very much moving towards games being played, these leagues going on, but no one being able to be there. So if you want to watch the Pelicans play in person, it might, you know, kind of keep that in mind. And if you're arranging some of your schedule, that's certainly going to be a thing. Uh, it almost seems inevitable at this point to me. You see Italy, which has this far worse than we do here in the U.S., canceling all sporting events, including Serie A, and I'm a big AC Milan fan, um, and not even playing those games right now. Just everything is postponed. They were playing behind closed doors. We're going to, I think, eventually kind of see this here just as everyone uh, works with and operates with an overabundance of caution. And I can't necessarily say that they're wrong. This is going to impact a lot of people. A lot of other jobs are already impacted by this. So it's just going to eventually trickle into sports. And as we're seeing this now, if you're taking the steps to limit people from kind of interacting with some others, it's definitely going to lead to the result of games being postponed. Not canceled, I don't think, but postponed. They're still going to play, and it's going to be unbelievably weird when they do, but it seems like you won't be in the Smoothie King Center or whatever arena it is that the Pelicans are at. We, it still remains to be seen how else this will go on. Do they play music? Are the broadcasters allowed in there? We don't know just yet, but certainly we should hopefully have a little bit more clarity at some point on Wednesday or Thursday after this call with all of the principal players when it comes to this sort of thing. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And don't forget, you can tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NBA. Catch up on everything going on around the league. There's a lot, and it is a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you all tomorrow. 